You're listening to the Wanderlust Swingers Podcast with Aussie hosts Kate and Daryl. If you're curious about exploring your sexuality or the swinging, hot wifing and non-monogamous lifestyle, you've definitely come to the right podcast. Or maybe you just love travel adventures. Either way, we share our personal, sometimes juicy, sexy stories as well as swingers club and event reviews, interviews with other sassy people and of course our global swinging adventures. We try to bring you a look into the diverse lifestyle that the swinging and non-monogamous community has. We hope you enjoy. Now let's get into the episode. Hey everyone and welcome to Volume 2 of the Swingers Health Series where we are interviewing a number of sex experts in their field with all things relating to the health of the swinging lifestyle. Everything from physical health, mental health, sexual health, we're going to cover it all. In Volume 1 you heard us talk about STI testing and erectile dysfunction. This is Volume 2 where we are talking about ageless sex, maintaining your libido, intimacy, desire and arousal through any age. I'm going to be introducing you to Susan Bratton. We share a number of resources throughout this episode, and it's not just for vulva owners. Gentlemen, you are absolutely welcome to pay attention to this episode too, as we talk about things in the bedroom where we can reignite maybe some of that spark we've lost over the time we've spent with our partner. This also relates to people in non-monogamous lifestyles. Just because you're entering the non-monogamous lifestyle and you're starting your swinging journey doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get great sex and have a high libido. So we're going to talk about that. I really hope that you enjoy this part of our health series. So without further ado, let's just jump into the episode. G'day everyone and welcome back to the Swingers Health Volume 2. I am here with an absolutely fantastic expert, another sexpert if you will, joining me today to talk about ageless sexuality, libido, desire and arousal. Let me introduce you to Susan Bratton who is an intimacy expert to millions and a champion and advocate for all those who desire passionate relationships. Featured on today, CNBC, The New York Times, Playboy, InStyle, Fox, and more, Susan has created a whopping 34 books and programs that offer practical, actionable pleasure techniques and bedroom communication skills. Susan believes that shame-free and frequent pleasure is every man and women's birthright preach, and welcome to the show, Susan. (laughs) Kate, it's great to be here, and I really like this idea of talking about how we can keep our sex span increasing. I'm in my 60s, and I'm having the best sex of my life, and I don't expect that trend to end anytime soon. And I think there's so many people out there who either they hit a wall where sex becomes painful or there's ED or what have you, or they think in their mind, they have this limiting belief in their mind that, oh, you don't have sex when you're old. And I I, I have two things to say about that. You're never old. There's no such thing as old. Old is a old is a mind state that you can get rid of as well and that sex can continue to be amazing your whole life long and contribute to your longevity and your happiness and your mood and everything. So, I'm glad we're talking about this idea of ageless sexuality. Thank you. Yes, me too. In fact, we get asked a lot, you know, am I too old to join the non-monogamous lifestyle? And every time I say absolutely not, you know, and to your point, you're in your 60s and you're discovering different parts of your sexuality. And and on that fact, actually, let's talk a little bit about you. You are an goddess. I've heard that reference before. Tell me about that. Tell our listeners a little bit about that. We want to get to know Susan before we start digging into some hardcore topics today about libido and desire and arousal and all the good things. Yeah, it's funny. I call myself the Glamazon. My mother, (laughs) Glamour. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I come from a long lineage of women who love to be beautiful at every age, which is an interesting thing. At 85, my mother is still beautiful. And I looked at her. It was funny. I, I took her for a couple's massage a couple of years ago. And she needed, a, she's tinier than I am. I'm so tall. That's why I call myself a glamazon because I'm almost six feet tall. And I had to help her get up on the table. So she got undressed and I was helping her up on the table. And I looked at her body and I thought, is she literally looks almost as good as I do, 23 years differently. We can really be beautiful, the human form, our womanliness, our masculinity, all of those things that we bring to our embodied practice of being sexy can really last our whole life long. It's not like there's this horrible downhill slide and old people are ugly. It comes from, we're worried that we'll be judged. Oh God, she's so old. Why is she here? But I actually think it's the opposite. I think that people feel like it's very empowering when older people across the gender spectrum are just out there in their joy and pleasure and connection. We're, we're, we're starved for those models. And so that's something that really came up for me was looking at my mother's body and thinking, it's pretty. It's so pretty still at 85. There's not, we don't have to worry about those things. We have to just take good care of ourselves. I remember having a conversation with a expert in Singapore, actually, and Singaporean culture isn't, I guess, the most body positive or sex positive culture that's out there. And this particular sex expert was explaining that her mum used to walk around naked, which was groundbreaking. None of their, her friends, parents did that. And I think it was massively impactful to her to see a person who was unashamed and themselves. And I absolutely agree with exactly what you're saying. I mean, we go to Carpe d'Arc in the south of France, we see all body shapes, sizes, age brackets, what have you, cultural backgrounds. And there is something to be said about just freeing yourself from that mask that we wear in everyday life and just getting naked and being like, bodies are beautiful. And people exploring their body, exploring sexuality is an even more beautiful thing. And I think that's something we definitely should cherish. How about you? Before we get into our topics today, have you ever considered being in a non-monogamous relationship? Is that something you've explored during your own personal journey? Well, this is June of 2023 when we're recording this, and I'm celebrating my 30th wedding anniversary this month with my husband, Sir Tim. Congratulations. But we have been open for longer than we've been monogamous. So about 17 years of the 30, we've been in an open relationship. And our open relationship has had many permutations. We've done a lot of different things. I'd consider us to be matriarchal poly. Like if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I currently have a boyfriend, a second boyfriend, a male lover that I see occasionally, another male lover that I see occasionally, and a girlfriend in addition to my husband. It's very easy for me to have all of those experiences. I have a very stable base. My husband and I have a very, very stable relationship. We have great sex. We've got a date at two o'clock this afternoon between meetings and things where we're going to make love. Who knows what we'll do? Every time we get together, it's, you know, whatever we feel like. And it's capricious, which I love. And it just, I listen to my body and he listens to his and we throw each other out some offers and see what we feel like doing. But it is definitely harder for the masculine to attract multiple female partners. Because we're estrogen dominant, we're prey. And our male-bodied partners are testosterone dominant and 
they tend to be the predators of the Homo sapien kingdom. And so that is something that we definitely struggle with in our non-monogamous long-term experiences. Right now, there's a very big difference between my husband and the partners that he has and me and the partners that I have in that recently he's had a partner for the last few years that she just really wanted him to be her husband too. And that was too much, too big an ask. He had to spend too much time taking care of her. And I felt like it took away from his relationship with me. And I want relationships in non-monogamy to be plus ups, not drag downs. And so it's definitely something we wrestle with over time. Firstly, congratulations on 30 years, 30 brilliant years, but also congratulations on figuring out what works for you. I mean, there are so many things that you just said there from multiple partners and the hierarchy of that to having a sex date at 2 p.m. And in my head, I'm calculating how many hours ahead I am of you. And I'm like, I feel like I'm going to be eating dinner or winding down for bed when when Susan's getting it on and listening to her body and having some pleasure there. So that'll be in my mind later, very pervertly. I love everything you said, and it kind of does lead us really well into our first topic today, which is going to be hormones intimacy, sex, you know, all of that, because everything you just said there about being prey and testosterone and everything, we're going to start to really dig into what women need and what helps us find some of those reconnections to both intimacy and sex. In females, the the main sex hormones we know are estrogen and progesterone. So hormones control heart rate, sleep cycles, sexual function, reproduction, your metabolism, appetite, growth, development, mood, stress, body temperatures, all affected by hormones. Thank you very much, Hormone Monster. Bloody delightful. My question is, when it comes to losing libido in midlife, I think everybody's first thoughts is that it is due to hormonal changes. You say something different. So let's elaborate on why you think it's not our hormones. Yeah. Well, the other hormone that you didn't mention is testosterone and women have testosterone too. Correct. That is true. I didn't mention that. My bad. Thank you for, thank you for schooling. This is why I get sexperts on the podcast. You see, Susan. (laughs) It's a dialogue, not a schooling. There's a couple of things. One is that when your estrogen declines, so many women say, I don't have a libido. My libido has disappeared and it's my hormones. And I say, "Mm, I mean, maybe it's partly your hormones. Sure. But it's probably also your gut microbiome. It's probably all the neurotransmitters that are having difficulty recycling for you. It's probably the fact that you're not working out and lifting heavy weight every day or every other day and developing more testosterone. It's probably that the estrogen that's lowering as you're in perimenopause and menopause is thinning your vaginal tissue as well as your skin, all of you and your soft tissue. You become more desiccated, dried out. And that is a big part too. So I really like bioidentical hormone replacement and high intensity interval training and bodybuilding and eating really well, eating clean, no gluten. It's full of glyphosates, eating organic, getting lots of vegetables, especially leafy greens that help you with your nitric oxide production because ultimately testosterone production and blood flow are two of the unsung physical issues. People target estrogen when that's not necessarily the biggest contributor to low libido. And you need leafy green vegetables and beetroot to convert to nitric oxide in your system so you can get the blood flow into your pelvic bowl. Just like your male-bodied partner, I feel like ED, women are getting gaslit 
around erectile dysfunction. We look at ED and we think that's a male issue. If you take a, a penis and you think about it and imagine it as a banana and that banana, half of it sticks out of his body and half of it goes into his body. So double what you see on a penis. And that's how big his penis actually is. There's 30 to 50% berry chapped. Everybody slightly has different proportions. And you have that banana and you peel away the skin. Everything inside his penis is the banana fruit. If you took that same fruit and you turned it into a circle with a point at the top, like a teardrop, and then you opened the skin of the vulva and stuck it in there around the vaginal opening, that's how much erectile tissue we have. And nobody's talking about that. Not to mention the fact that the vagina itself in addition to the estrogen thinning the tissue, when we have a loss of blood flow, because by the time you're 50, you're making half the nitric oxide production that you did at 20, our vaginas don't, they're not a gland. They are not self-lubricating. They are a muscle, a stretchy little pocket. And they're not an inside out penis either. They're not a canal, like a sheath. They're a flat little pocket that is actually a funny little, almost looks like a little balloon in there. And they're flattened most of the time until we're super, super turned on and they kind of balloon open and our cervix pulls up a little and makes a little more room. There's some tenting that goes on with arousal. And the problem is that the vagina doesn't self-lubricate. It needs blood plasma to flow into the pelvis from arousal. And then that seeps through the vaginal walls and lubricates our vagina. And so most women start with, I've lost my lubrication and I don't feel turned on. And though Emily Nagoski in Come As You Are says there's no correlation between how lubricated you are and how turned on you are, that's true. When you're lubricated, you feel more turned on. It's a signal to you that when you're wet, you're horny. Having more wetness, accelerating your wetness and working on your lubrication actually makes you feel more turned on. The thing is that you need arousal to get there. So libido is not really necessarily the thing. It's the lack of time to get aroused. And I feel like we've been having patriarchal sex instead of matriarchal sex because it takes us 20 minutes to get fully aroused and lubricated, 20 to 30 minutes of pretty consistently focused pleasure. If you look at Dr. Nan Wise and Dr. Barry Kamasarik, they have done a lot of MFRI scans where they look at the brains of people who are becoming aroused. And what Nan shows is that until you really stimulate the nipples, the clitoris, the skin of the outer vulva and inner vulva, where that, that banana of erectile tissue is, the vagina and the cervix, you're not really getting the arousal that your male-bodied partner, due to his fast-acting hemodynamics, gets in two to three minutes if he's healthy. So he gets hard in two to three minutes, we get hard in 20 minutes. They've already fucked us and come in us by the time we're even getting turned on. We also have been laboring under what I consider to be religiosity, where sex is for procreation only and intercourse is the only thing that matters. And that's total bullshit too, because I want my boobs sucked. I want to be kissed and I want lots of tongue and I want lots of spit transfer and I want oral pleasuring, giving and receiving. I want to start having throat gasms and nipple gasms and belly gasms. And I don't just want someone to like put their finger on my clit and rub real hard and then stick their dick in me. 
I will not have that kind of sex. That kind of sex is the road to having a low libido because it's shitty and you don't want it. So I think what's happened is that women say, it's low libido. It must be my hormones. I want an instant fix. Let me take estrogen. And then all of a sudden I'll have good sex and they'll be disappointed because they're really missing all of the other things that they need to have the desire and then to have the actual pleasure and orgasmic potential that we have from full body touch, words of adoration and appreciation, encouragement, dirty talk, sensual talk, yoni massage, kissing, boob play, oral, all that stuff. And that intercourse is a really great part of it. And I also think that a lot of women never really get to being massively multi-orgasmic from intercourse because they are treated like their vagina is an inside out penis and men watch porn and they fuck us like they see in porn, which is only there for really jerking them off. And then it's just like, er, 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 er. and friction isn't necessarily the aging vagina's friend anyway. And so if men could understand that penis owners could understand that we have a little pocket that's more like a cave that needs full 360 degree exploration, and that we want deep penetration with shallow penetration, and more variety and more kissing and more foreplay and all those kinds of things. And I don't even like the word foreplay because foreplay is like patriarchal. It's like, well, everything leads to fucking. So let's just do what we have to do so I can fuck you and come. That whole thing is a disaster. That's what's making us not want sex when we're old. All that is what it is. And so when women are like, oh shit, all right, I need to take nitric oxide supplements, eat my leafy greens, work out and lift heavy weights, do some high intensity interval training and stand for the and be vigilant around listening to our bodies in any given moment. Because some days will turn on faster than other days because we're on a 28 day cycle, even after menopause. When we're in control, when when both partners or multiple partners are in service to our yoni, our vulva, and when she's ready and what she wants, then everybody's happier because she's super turned on and loving all the pleasuring that she's getting and giving. And so I think it's just, I don't know, disrupting that whole paradigm, that patriarchal paradigm and getting us aroused. Just to surmise here, so you're saying that I think, you know, in terms of ageless sexuality and just having great sex at any age, we take to estrogen because we assume that's the easy out. We're kind of making a demon out of estrogen, really, aren't we? Like, oh, something's wrong with my body. Something's wrong with my estrogen. Therefore, if I go and take a estrogen supplement, that's going to fix this problem, quote unquote, problem with me. And therefore, it's the easy out. Whereas what you're saying is actually, no, hello, there are multiple nerve endings, even in our inner and outer labia, labia minora, labia majora, nerve endings all around that. Have a little bit of an exploration. I think in your own body as well as, yes, your partners need to be aware of that. And to your point, using the term foreplay, I've never heard it said like that before, but I tend to agree because my partner and I sometimes... I will voice to him, I will communicate what I want. And sometimes I'll just say, you know what? I actually just really want you to give me a yoni massage and that's it. And that's what we do. And that's our play for that day. And it, there is no expectation of penetration after. That's that's the play session. It is him just giving me a yoni massage. I quite enjoy it. And other times we do other things. You know, it's not really the, yes, to your point, for play, meaning that it's something beginning or the start of something. In actuality, it can be a beautiful, delightful thing on its own. 
You started mentioning a lot of things there like leafy greens, like HIIT. I've read a term on your website and I really don't know what it means. So is that what biohacking means? What on earth is biohacker? What does biohacking mean? Is that what you just kind of mentioned just then? Well, I think about things on a spectrum. It depends on your age. So in this episode, you and I are talking about ageless sexuality. So the precept is that we're talking about people who are over 40 Mm -hmm. and want to keep having great sex, but that we do age and we do atrophy and that we do have blood flow minimization. And so how do we get all of those things working? How do we get that back to when we were 20 or 30? If we're 55 and we want to feel like we're 30 again, what do we do? That to me is called sexual regenerative therapies. And I'd love to give you what's called the stack of those, the things that work synergistically together to reverse that atrophy and the loss of lubrication and all of those things so that your genitals feel like you're 30 and you come with the intensity of a 30 year old, but you come with the skill of a 55 year old because you come better and better your whole life long if you've had your intention on expanding your orgasmic potential. Like you said, activating your outer labia, your inner labia, your mons, your clitoral hood, your clitoral shaft, your introidal sphincter, the entrance to your vagina, inside your vagina, the cervical area, the A spot, the P spot, the G spot, the the second G spot on the outside and the vestibule. <laughs> you know, there's all these places and locations, your nipples, your breasts, Core gasms, foot gasms, oral gasms, throat gasms. I mean, we have so many locations that trigger our brain to have orgasmic pleasure. So I think about the things that you do to remediate aging as sexual regenerative therapies. I think about sexual biohacking as I'm I'm going to take what I have that's really good and make it even better. And that's where you get into clitoral and penis enlargement activating new neural pathways, cross-training, orgasmically cross-training. So you begin to have all these different 20 kinds of orgasms the human body can have. The 20 kinds of orgasms, the 20th one is wild card because I'm still discovering new orgasmic pathways. But there's the locations to touch, which I mentioned. There's also what I would consider to be orgasmic techniques, Some of those include G-spot awakening, female ejaculation stroke patterns, erotic hypnosis is another technique, expanded orgasm, having an expanded orgasm practice is another technique. And then there's objects of desire, which could be anything from fetish wear to electrostim to the all of the different eight types of sex toys that cross train and activate the vulva, the four types of toys and tools that activate the male pleasure centers. So that to me is sexual biohacking. It's taking what you have and making it even better. Penis enlargement being a huge part of what I do. I call myself the peen queen. And that's so silly because I've written a book. It's it's at pumpingguide.com where I explain what vacuum erection device or penis pump to use, the protocols to use it, how to use red light therapy, how to use traction devices, how to get gains waves or use shockwave therapies to reverse any atrophy that's there, how to use the right supplements for penis enlargement. You can use PRP now. And I think we're moving into things like exosomes and stem cells. The only distinction is 
returning to function and then making function better than it's ever been. Regenerative versus bio. That's all that is, is a spectrum. Like first you fix it and then you take it to new levels of like strength and vitality and pleasure. When I'm thinking about everything that you're saying now, and if people are out there really at any age, but like we said, maybe above 40, who are thinking my libido's in the gutter, something's wrong with me. What advice are you giving to these people? Like when should they be concerned that they quote unquote have low libido, maybe versus everyday stress versus the fact that maybe they're not receiving the kind of pleasure from their partner. I know that you've had some very interesting conversations with your primary partner. You know, what is the quantitative like low libido stat and what advice would you give to people who are feeling that? Are there any tools, guides, information that we can kind of share on the on the episode today for those people that might be thinking, sitting there thinking, that's me, I've got low libido, please help me. I would say the first thing that I'm thinking about is I have a little book. It's a free ebook. Arousalsecrets.com is the book that I want to give you for that, which is essentially describing the difference between libido desire and arousal. Because your libido is your body-based situation. And you may need estrogen replacement. You might want to add progesterone, testosterone. You might want to add oxytocin. You might want to have femi-wave treatments to reverse atrophy. You might want to have gains wave if you're a male-bodied partner. These are the low-intensity shockwave treatments that they use to stimulate new tissue growth that helps rejuvenate the vagina and the penis. They're not available in Australia or Europe yet. They're really a US thing, but they're rolling out to other continents now, which is good. PRP, the penis pump. I like the vagina device, which is a red light therapy that has vibration and warmth that also helps with intravaginal pain. Vaginadevice.com is where you get that. That's an at-home device. So I think all of these things are a really good start, but then you have to deal with desire. If you've had shitty sex your whole life, you don't have a lot of desire. I think that's a bigger issue than the body stuff. The body stuff's pretty easy to fix. And the desire can go back to one of the things we started talking about today, which was that there are a lot of people who have body image issues. And we can't help ourselves as women, especially because estrogen is the molecule of worry and judgment. Because we're the prey, not the predator, we have to worry all the time about somebody hurting us, getting STIs, conceiving by accident, having more shitty sex that bums us out, all of those things. Plus, how we feel about ourselves. Do we feel desirable? And then do we desire our partner or are they pissing us off and doing a crappy job in the bedroom and out of the bedroom? So these are the desire pieces, which is more the emotional side of things. And then we have arousal. And I go back to that. We've had rushed sex our whole lives where it's never allowed us to get fully engorged and get the blood flow into our dicks. So we've been focused on when our guy gets a hard on, it's time to fuck and we're not ready. And then we do that and we do that 300 times or a thousand times or for a decade or two decades. No wonder we don't want to have great sex because we've never had it because we didn't know what we didn't know. So I hope I can solve a lot of those things, but that desire, that libido desire arousal matrix 
You have to look at every aspect, the body, the mind, and then how it takes some time for us and slowing down and really enjoying and listening to our bodies and asking for what we want. So I think that's a real strategy. And in the arousalsecrets.com, thanks, Kate. Yeah, that will really go into how you fix these issues. That's a free thing. It's a a video that I recorded that goes much more deeply into this, some covering the surface. And then it also gives you an ebook with a transcript. I don't like to watch videos often. I really like to just read stuff. So I, you have multiple modalities, which is nice. Now you let us very, very well into the next segment because we are actually going to focus now on desire and arousal and everything else. So we've spoken about libido and I guess a takeaway from that first section for people out there listening. And and again, this doesn't need to be vulva owners only that we're, we're talking to here. This is penis owners as well. But a takeaway I think is that maybe we don't need to jump to conclusions. Maybe it isn't part of our hormones right now. And maybe we really do need to take a look at the sex in our bedroom that we are having. And for non-monogamous folks too, the extension of that then, if that's the kind of sex you've been having for 10, 20, 30 years in your own bedroom, entering into the lifestyle, and then perhaps if you're not using your voice, if you're not communicating what your sexual desires and interests are, then you may then start to think, well, this is it for me, you know, and and rather than receiving the kind of pleasure that you need, deserve, want, you start to think you're having low libido. So I think that the takeaway from this is maybe to start really looking at your sex, right? What you're doing at home, what you're doing in your own bedroom, and that could be also self-pleasure. Are you actually taking time for self-pleasure. What kind of time are you taking? Like you said before, Susan, is it rushed sex? Is it rushed self-pleasure as well? Is it rushed between you and your partner? So I think all those things are, are really great. Let's dig into desire and arousal. I know that you're just chomping at the bit to talk about this. I think for a lot of people, it is easy to get confused between libido, arousal, and I know you're probably going to break it down even more for us, but just for the listeners out there, libido often refers to your baseline interest in sex and may be referred to your sexual appetite or desire, whereas arousal refers to the physiological response to sexual stimuli, which is what we were kind of talking about before, right? Getting ready for sex. Sex drive, it doesn't just put your relationship at risk. In my in my opinion, I think it also puts ourselves at risk. I get into a mental funk. I know a lot of other people do. We no longer feel like a goddess. My question to you, I guess, to kick us off, which is a little bit of a deep one, is what impact does low libido have on us in the long term, you know, that we no longer feel like a goddess anymore? And have you kind of experienced that or have clients who may have shared some stories around that before? The whole reason I've been a sex expert for two decades is that my libido was shot in my 40s because I had no desire for my husband because I'd never had an orgasm from intercourse and I didn't want to have intercourse with him anymore. And we saw all our friends getting divorced and we knew it wasn't money. It was sex because those are the two things, unless you've married someone who has issues, you know, then, then that's a third thing. We decided to try to fix the problem. And as soon as we started learning sexual skills, we started having better sex and I started having orgasms from intercourse. And that's why we started our company, Personal Life Media, betterlover.com, because we realized that we don't really learn passionate lovemaking techniques. So you can go on porn and see how men want to fuck. They just want to stick their dick in, pump away, 
come and be done. And they want women to be like completely surrendered and they want them to be really horny so they don't have to feel any performance anxiety around being wanted. And they want women to just like get off with the most basic kind of movements and stuff. And all of that's just fantasy bullshit. It's not what women want. Sometimes we want to get fucked. We want to get fucked by a bunch of guys. We want to get a gang bang. We want to whatever. We want to get a spit row. We want to, you know, we're, we're up for it. We feel really good. But I don't think the average woman feels like that. I think the average woman feels like fucking her man is a chore. And I think she feels that because it is because they don't know how to fuck. He doesn't know how to eat her pussy. She doesn't know how to suck his cock. They're kissing his pretty mediocre. He barely touches her breasts. He probably just does what I call grab a boob and stick it in sex. And so if she doesn't want to have sex anymore, it's basically just because sex is shitty or boring. So learning sex techniques is the first step. But the second, and that basically that's what my company does and a lot of people do. They teach lovemaking techniques. My brand of sex that I teach it, I call it heart-connected, conscious, passionate lovemaking. The conscious is the presence. So many people are so ashamed about their desire. They've grown up in religious environments that have basically shamed the sex out of them. Or they've grown up in homes where there was no passionate lovemaking model. And their parents never touched each other. They haven't been hugged. They're insecurely attached. You know, all of this stuff. So they don't have any good models for it. There's no good models on movies and television. It's basically when you see two people fucking on TV, they have this spontaneous desire, which is never really the truth for women. It was all about using her for his pleasure. Fuck that. Let's put female pleasure first because if mama ain't happy, daddy ain't happy. So there's technique, but then there's also bedroom communication skills and there's being able to talk about what you want because what you want is different every day. And there's also this idea that we need you to be present with us and on us too. We're worried we're going to be able to come. We're worried it's going to hurt or not feel good or what have you. And our guys are worried that we're, we don't want them, that they're just, we're just doing it to mollify them. They worry that we're not really coming well. They are worried they're going to lose their erection. I mean, so many guys think they need to stay hard the whole time instead of just staying hard, going soft, staying hard, going soft, staying hard, going soft. It all works out you fluff your guy up when you're ready and then he can penetrate you. It's no big deal. There's all this performance anxiety and that means everybody's up in their head instead of in their heart and instead of being present in the room. And I have this concept called the tuning fork technique, which is that when a man connects his heart to his cock and he shows up fully present for whatever is going to happen in that moment. And he's just there making offers coming up with fun ideas, holding her, just being there and not worrying about his performance. Because the thing for guys is they live in a pecking order. Testosterone makes them either the winner or the loser. They're very black and white. They don't want to be losers. So they're really worried about fucking up. And so if the guy is like, hey, it's all going to work out. I'm just going to be here with my woman. And, and honestly, when I say man and woman, and I say, you know, penis and vulva and all this stuff, it applies 
across the gender spectrum. However you present from a gender perspective, whatever situation you've got going on, it's all about the same. It's just easier generally to talk about the, you know, male-female pair bonded construct because that is generally the most common thing. But two women have exactly the same issues. We need to be present with each other. We need to show up and overcome our performance anxiety. Two men, same thing. So when a guy connects his heart to his penis and he really shows up for her, that calms her down and they're able to really be conscious that they're not embarrassed about having sex, that they're here for it. And that they're here to be connected and have co-created pleasure. So I think that's a really important piece of it too. And then understanding women's arousal patterns instead of going with how fast guys want to do things and slowing down for women and having passionate lovemaking where you're really turning each other on, where it's slow and pleasurable and connected. That's really the stuff I like and that I teach and that I've written hundreds of techniques and 44 books on. And I think that that's really, really important because when you're just trying to do someone instead of be with them, technique is not going to solve your problem. When you are connected in your heart, and you have sexual skill, and then you also have communication skill, that's really the three-legged stool. Actually, that's two legs. That's skills and communication. The third leg is health, being healthy, the sexual regenerative therapies, the, the femi waves, the gain waves, the gains waves, the penis pumps, the blood flow supplements, the eating well, the exercise, the high-intensity interval training, you know, like all of that stuff. And then the sexual biohacking, you know, maybe you have a penis and you want it bigger. Maybe you want to make your clit bigger and more meaty. So you feel more sensation and you want to activate your whole vulva. That's the whole orgasmic cross-training, sexual biohacking piece of thing. So that's the three-legged stool that I felt has been missing in so many places for so many people. So if somebody's out there maybe and they're thinking, I don't necessarily am feel, I'm not feeling arousal in the bedroom. I'm not feeling desire in the bedroom. Do you have advice to these people? Like, is there a way to start slow? I mean, in my mind, I think maybe a nice couple's massage would be a nice little date that they could have together. Is there anything else, you know, to, if they're starting with a, with a massage and maybe stopping at that, having a massage, or maybe it does progress to a yoni massage and then that's it. You know, is there any other kind of date ideas or things that people can do to help maybe people start to think what it is they're missing in their sexual journey, what it is they're missing in their sex life? If you're feeling this way, is there a way to kind of reignite that spark? So one of the things that I did was I realized that having techniques and communication skills is great. But what people really wanted from me were what I call erotic play dates. Couples that play together stay together, especially in the bedroom. And yet people don't know what to do. So I put together something called the Sex Life Bucket List. Sex Life Bucket List, it's at sexlifebucketlist.com. It's, it's a free download. It's a PDF that comes with a video. And it's your first erotic play date together. You can do it solo and you could do it with a partner or partners. And the notion is that there are 48 super fun ideas for things to do that take the emphasis off of, I'm going to grab your, your boob and then I'm going to stick it in, which is not what we want as women, especially. And honestly, men don't want it either. They want to have incredible sexual experiences and a lot of fun together. 
course they do. They want they want to feel desired, right? That's what we're trying to say here. Like I think as much as women want to feel desire and want to feel arousal, I think men want to feel desired. And so you're going to have better sex in the bedroom. If your partner is super enthusiastic every single time you take your clothes off or maybe sometimes leave them on, if that person is going to seem like they are really, really into it, then it's just so much better for both people. So absolutely, I agree 100% with what you're saying. So sex life bucket list com is going in the show notes 100%. Okay, good. What it does is basically you download a PDF. It's eight pages long, double side. It's a double sided little four page document. You can print it out and it essentially gives you 48 ideas for fun things to do in the bedroom that take the emphasis off of intercourse, but ultimately net you more intercourse. So guys don't have to worry like, oh God, now I'm going to do all this and I'm never going to get fucked. You will get more fucking. And what it has are 48 things on it. And Kate, you said yoni massage and you said yoni massage without expectation of anything more. No quid pro quo. Sometimes I just need a pussy rub and that's what's going to keep my desire up so that I want to fuck you later or suck your cock later or whatever. The 48 ideas include things such as yoni massage, trying new toys, lingerie photo shoots, sexy dancing, shabari. There's so many things on there. I can't even remember them all. And when you do the sex life bucket list, either solo or with a partner, you watch my video. I describe what each one is. It's a 40 minute video. So it's your first erotic play date. You sit down together with your two little printouts and each of the 48 things has an ABC next to it. A's you mark as a oh, this is definitely going on my sex list. We talked about doing it. We never did it. I've always wanted to do it. I'm dying to do it. Bees are, hey, it it wouldn't go on my bucket list, but if you want to do it, I would totally do it with you. And C's are, it's not for me right now. I always say, never say never. You used to look at this and go, oh my God, why would anyone want to be spanked or flogged? Like that's some fucked up shit. That's weird. And then later you're like, oh, daddy, could you turn me over your knee and spank me while you make me suck somebody else's cock? You know, like you evolve because if you think about your sex life as part of your personal development, your personal growth, and this whole segment has been focused on ageless sexuality, how to expand your sex span, how to have sex that keeps getting better on the upward pleasure spiral instead of swirling down the toilet. How do you do that? You keep learning new skills, trying new things, improving your communication, focusing on your presence, expanding your orgasmic capacity, increasing your arousal, your libido takes care of itself because you've been doing all this fun shit. And so I think that arousal secrets is the thing that you look at when you're trying to pinpoint my problems. What's wrong? What do I need to fix? Then sex life bucket list is what do I want to do to get myself super turned on with myself? Because a lot of the play dates can be done yourself or with a partner. And I think that the combination of those two things gets you 
into that mode where sex just keeps getting better and better because you get more skills, you get more confidence. When you're more confident, you have less resistance to having sex. The more sex you have, the more sex you want. I mean, there's a point at which I'm like, I remember my girlfriend called me the other day. My boyfriend was visiting me for five days because my husband was out of town. So he came up to keep me company and we fucked morning, noon and night. And I don't mean fucked. I just mean like we had, you know, we did things morning, noon and night. It was really fun because there's all that new relationship energy. And my girlfriend called me and she was like, I'd love to come over tonight and have a yoni massage. And I was like, I can't do one more thing. I am so, I'm so fucked up. <laughs> like I just, you know, like I'm a woman with a very high libido, but there is also an upward limit to that, you know? So she's like, okay, maybe tomorrow. <laughs> Once again, Susan, you've led me in beautifully into my next question. I like to put people on the hot seat when I interview them. And the hot seat is, you know, maybe some uncomfortable questions, maybe something that's, you know, bucking the trend a little bit. But this is my hot seat question to you. You mentioned earlier that you've got the, two, and I don't forget, you've got the 2 p.m. Uh, sex date happening this afternoon. Now, some sex experts say that a sex date or setting a time for sex is the death of spontaneity and arousal and your relationship and don't do it. It's like a one-way street to, I don't know, Divorceville. Whereas you're all for it. So play dates, setting a play date. Yes, no. Some people say it's the death of relationships. Tell me why you do it and why you would recommend it to other people, particularly those people that, like you said, may have gone to the website first, uncovering what it is, then going into the sex life bucket list, looking at things that they might want to do. Tell, tell me about sex dates. Just let's talk about it. Yeah. Well, I didn't say that I'm scheduling sex. I said I have a sex date. So scheduling sex means because sex means intercourse to people, right? And if you don't have quote unquote a high libido, you don't, you're not desiring sex. You're like, oh fuck, what's wrong with me? Then the last thing you want to do is schedule a sex date because then that's just more work. It's another to do. It's like, uh, now I got to have sex. I got to get my head in the game. I have sex. So I never recommend scheduling sex. I recommend scheduling sex, sex dates, which are erotic play dates. So when I show up in the bedroom at two o'clock, and one of the things that one of us will do, either Tim or I, is we'll go into the room about 1.30. We'll turn on the fireplace because it's still a little cool here in the spring. We'll put on some sexy music. Tim will usually say to me, what playlist sounds good? What do you want? I'll give him a seed, you know, like, oh, I feel like Roger Eno. Oh, I feel like that really grindy desert dweller or whatever my mood is, you know, and he'll put on the music and then we'll lay the fascinators down on the bed and we'll get out his little Zafu that he sits on his little meditation pillow. If he, if I want a pussy rub, which almost always we start with a pussy rub. We start with a yoni massage because that begins to engorge my genitals. Sometimes I like to lie with him and in his arms and just calm down. Sometimes my dates start with rubbing pain cream into my knees because I tore my ACL skiing and they're still healing. So I like to connect with him and talk to him and check in with him. And so he rubs pain cream on my knees. <laughs> um, like when you're 60, sport play often starts with things like rub pain cream in. <laughs> I was thinking there's probably people out there just going, this sounds like bliss. So, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting this happening and then, and then we're going to roll into a yoni massage. Like, what is this? My birthday? Come on. 
Exactly. And then somebody will get the water and a couple of glasses. If it's evening time, there might be like a vape pen, some Chardonnay or Cab or a good temper Neo, you know, have a little wine, lower the inhibitions. And then we get towel down on the bed on top of the, the, the Liberator Fascinators. And then that has my three favorite Foria oils. I've got breast massage oil and awakening oil and their general CBD lube oil, which I love. They're so smooth and they, the awakening oil doesn't have heaty things in it. It actually has like, almost like, almost like it has cardamom in it, which kind of gets your clit really feeling things. And another thing that um, Dr. Nan said was that if you think about your genitals, it lights up your brain as much as if you touch your genitals. So the combination of like the awakening oil on your yoni and starting there. And that kind of really sends a lot more signals to your brain. I love that. And sometimes we, I have a new sex toy I need to try. One of the toys that I wanted to show you is this new wand. It's called the Vim, V-I-M from Fun Factory. I love this new wand. So I always like the Hitachi magic wand. And mm. I don't know if you've seen this. You're o- you're over in Vim Holland from Fun right I'm writing now. it down right now. <laughs> yeah, get this. It's a fantastic wand because it's the new Hitachi magic wand, but it's by Fun Factory. It's a super high quality company. They're a German company. They're in Bremen and they make the most. I mean, I'm literally stroking. I'm literally, if you, can, you can't see me because we're on a podcast of audio, but I'm literally just like stroking this beautiful wand. It's balanced like a pencil. It, it feels so easy to hold. You can, you can put this on your vulva and you can rub the mons, the outer labia, the inner labia, your sweet cheeks, the groin muscles, maybe even your belly. They've made it so that instead of it going on your pussy lips and your skin, it penetrates into your body and it really starts to engorge. So I might want to stroke Tim's cock and make out with him while I put this on my pussy and start the engorgement process. That's really nice. So whatever I feel like, I don't know what I'm going to feel like at two o'clock. I'll let you know. I mean, it could be anything. It could literally be I'm so turned on waiting for two o'clock to get there that I just throw him down on the bed, suck his cock, get it hard, mount him and ride him cowgirl style and come my brains out and make <laughs> him co- d- tease him, tantalize him, take him to the edge many, many times and then come and we go back to work. So It's the combination of setting the lover space, getting everything that we need to totally relax, all set up so we can just get on there, relax, feel into what sounds fun, make a few offers, see what we want and see where it goes. And that I think is what a real good erotic play date is. It could be something that we have on our bucket list. So I got these super cute, sexy high heels that I basically can't even walk to the bathroom in. They're hot pink, like flamingo (laughs) pink, and they have sparkle crystals all over them. And I found a pair of stay up thigh highs that are hot pink and I am wearing them today. So the first thing I'm going to do when I go in for our play date is I'm going to put on super slutty shoes and thigh highs. I don't really like to have a lot of other lingerie on because it gets in the way, but my husband loves when I wear slutty shoes and thigh highs. That just really turns him on. So that's one of the things I know about him. So that's one of the things that I do for him just as he rubs THC pain cream into my knees. (laughs) 
Well, exactly. It's about turning up for each other. I really appreciate the discussion point around scheduling sex versus your erotic play dates and coming in and just talking about what you're maybe interested in and really seeing where that goes. I mean, I, I would imagine that some days, yeah, you are just wanting, you know, some of the pain rub, rubbed in, a bit of beautiful conversation, you know, connecting with your partner and then that's it. You know what I mean? And other times, like you said, there's going to be something more. I did write down, you mentioned Foria Wellness Oil. I wrote that down and uh, the, the Fun Factory toy. I used to always recommend organic avocado oil. I used that as lube for years. I always say, if you wouldn't put it in your mouth, don't put it in your pussy. I mean, you don't want any endocrine disruptors, toxins, you know, gross things that are in lubes. Don't buy lubes out of the grocery stores and the drug stores and the pharmacies and stuff. That stuff is shit because it's FDA class two certified so they can distribute it through stores. And it always has to have preservatives in it. And some of the preservatives they use are just disgusting. So you don't want to put that stuff in your pussy because it's the same mucous membrane as your mouth. So don't don't use it. But that's what I love about Foria, that it's so natural, but it also has this incredible glide that I just love. Yeah. And we're actually, we are going to do a follow-up episode on, again, Swingers Health. And we're going to spend some time talking about things like BV and thrush and UTIs. And lube plays a big part in that. You know, some of these lube brands is just full of sugar and these flavor things. And I mean, that is for me, that's just a recipe for throwing off your pH and and that leads to a really unhappy Kate. So I, I totally get you there. We're actually going to focus on that. But before we get ready to wrap out here, Susan, I, I did want to share a little personal story. And, uh, you know, I think this, maybe this resonates with you. I, I'm not sure. Maybe resonates with some of our listeners but you know being I guess somebody who is in the the sex content space you know being sex positive and everything else sometimes I can look at social media and think I'm the only one feeling these right I'm a sex positive creator I'm online all the time my face is out there I'm talking about being sex positive being body positive and that doesn't necessarily equate to the fact that I feel that way 100% of the time I don't feel body positive 100% of the time and therefore I also don't feel sexy and horny and I see all these other creators that are just honestly just out there fucking everything and putting photos of themselves up online and in the age of social media and OnlyFans and boobs and tits and horny women ever on the internet, it's easy to feel alone. And I just wanted to mention this to perhaps people out there listening and maybe just to you, Susan, that I felt that way as well. And I do feel that way sometimes. And so if you are feeling alone, you're not alone. Um, I'm I'm there right with you. So sometimes I definitely feel that. And I think, geez, why aren't I hornier? Why don't I have more sexual desire? What's wrong with me? And, uh, you know, sometimes it is just everything that we've spoken about today, you know, going to that sex life bucket list com doing these things taking time out for your erotic play dates you know some of these things to wrap this whole episode into a nice little ball is that as we do get older i think we do need to focus and concentrate on some of the things that are really truly bringing us pleasure bringing us joy and certainly intimacy and sex is high on the list and pain cream <laughs> absolutely yeah because i work out every day too so sometimes it's my elbows sometimes it's my back you know whatever one of the things that i recently did was i launched an only fans I partly launched the OnlyFans because I wanted to be able to post videos and images where I could show things. Like I wanted to be able to post a picture of my pussy and show what all the parts were. Because like there's two G spots and people don't even know that. Stuff like that. I think the more that you know about anatomy, the more you're good at pleasuring. But I also post pictures 
of myself. You can see my boobs. You can see my puss. You can see all that stuff. And I want to do that because number one, I like to be able to show that women can still look beautiful in their 60s. And there are a lot of men who like age appropriate women. We have had so much emphasis on teen girls and young girls and all this stuff. But so many people love to see beautiful older women. That's a big thing. They're not interested. They want age-appropriate partners. They want sexy older women. Then there's a ton of people out there who are just like, oh my God, I want a MILF or I want a granny or I want an older person or whatever. And those are porn terms, but I'll use them anyway. I like being able to use my own body for demonstration of techniques and things like that. And I love posting on my OnlyFans with photo sets that give people joy and pleasure to see all of me. So I've really put myself out there. It makes everybody happy. Not everybody in the world, but it makes my fans happy to have those things. And it's one more way that I am supporting ageless sexuality. And that's by showing that we're beautiful at every age and that our sexiness comes from within and our cultivation of our own pleasure and joy with ourselves. I love what RuPaul says, if if you don't love yourself, how the hell is anybody else going to love you? And so I really do love having this kind of expansion a a little bit more, Susan, everywhere in garages and workshops and gyms all over the world. It's great that you're doing that. And actually to tie that into non-monogamy as well, we find a lot of women, especially older women in the lifestyle, joining the lifestyle, starting to share some sexy photos with their potential partners. And they do, they get a lot of serotonin out of it. They get a lot of just really good feelings or they're getting compliments out of it. I think it's great that you're doing that because definitely I can see that kind of affirmation coming back. I mean, not just for the educational side, but like you said, for, for your body, for, you know, just feeling like you are that goddess. So as we wrap up here, I just wanted to mention a couple of stats and then we're going to say goodbye to Susan. But if you're out there listening and you're not sure about this, if you don't know if your partner's experiencing this, if you yourself feel alone, let me hit you with some stats. So 81% of women in a relationship admit to having sex with their partner, even if they're not in the mood. 77% of women believe there needs to be more open conversation about women's low sexual desire in the news and media. 67% of women are worried that low sexual desire in women isn't taken seriously. And only 14% of women are aware of the availability of treatments for low sex drive and desires. Those are just some really hitting home with this point of sexual desire, libido, hormones, everything we've really spoken about today. Thank you, Susan. You have been an absolute wonderful guest and all of the references that we've spoken about today will be in the show notes. So if you would like to go and get some of those amazing free resources as well, please do so. Thank you so much for having me, Kate. It's a joy. You're a very intelligent woman doing incredible work in this world. And it's really been my honor to be here today. Thanks for having me. So guys, I really hope that you enjoyed that episode with Susan Bratton, sexpert today talking about all things libido, intimacy, desire, arousal, and sex through any age. That's been volume two of our Swingers Health series. And I hope that you stick around for our next episode. Daryl and I are going to be back to talk about our journey and things that are happening with us. Coming up in this series, we have more sexperts coming. We're going to be talking about things like BV, UTIs, thrush. We're going to be talking about herpes. We're going to be talking about physical health, mental health, and so much more. 
If you have any feedback or if you would like us to cover a topic, please send me an email, email at wanderlustswingers.com. But in the meantime, please do go ahead and check out those show notes today for all of the links that Susan and I discussed. Some great and honestly free resources out there for you if you would like to learn more about this. But otherwise, that's it from me. You guys have been absolutely fantastic. And I hope that you stay happy, healthy, horny, creative and authentic. And I'll see you guys on the next episode. Bye. Bye.